Re-Evaluate. A 20-minute BS-free conversation with real estate movers and shakers. And your host, White Rock CEO, Jordan Gerard. So thank you for your time, Kunal. It's great to chat with you this morning. Pleasure to be here, Jordan. Thank you for having me here. Of course. So you have a very interesting profile. Uh, you have a career in real estate for most of your life. Then you went to, to business school, got an MBA, and then starting a firm in venture capital, specifically in real estate technology. So can you talk more about your background, you know, what you've seen in real estate, what you've done, and then how you got to start a VC fund, specifically a VC fund in real estate tech? Sure thing. So my partner and I, Nobu, run Agya Ventures. I'll give you the story uh, from my side, which is the following. So I grew up in a real estate and construction family, Jordan, as you know. My dad is a real estate developer back in India. So I kind of grew up in that environment, speaking that language. Came stateside, went to college at Yale, and then out of college, my first job was at Blackstone Real Estate, which was a phenomenal learning ground for what I'm doing today. So invest in a wide range of asset classes and got a sense of, you know, how asset managers tend to look at this asset class from a fundamental standpoint. Post-BX, went to business school, made friends with a lot of people from different backgrounds, including entrepreneurs and people who had a very strong product and technology background. And that's when it kind of like dawned on me that this is, this is exceptionally interesting. So I kind of like went out, did my thing for two years, learned how to, you know, build product at an insurance company, and then was helping out a friend build his business in real estate tech. And at that point, it kind of became clear that, you know, this is the path I want to go down. So Agia Ventures started out initially as a consulting business, where we were helping large developers, general contractors, and home builders think about technology solutions across their stack. So we'd conduct tech audits, and then we'd make recommendations in terms of, this is what you should be doing. And then we'd also publish research. So that's how Nobu, who I met in business school, and I kind of started about Agia Ventures. Kind of building that business out for 12 months, we went back to a lot of our consulting clients and several of them participated as LPs in our first fund. So that's where we stand today. The fund is a C3's A-focused fund investing in the future work, retail, apartments, hospitality, and logistics. We're based out of the US. We invest in US-based technology companies. We invested in 16 companies as we speak. And then the idea is to invest anywhere between 30 to 35 companies out of fund one. Our LPs have been amazing support systems. They have not only acted as sounding boards for us to finesse our investment thesis, but also to you know, think about potential pilots with the portfolio and guide them because they're so deeply immersed in the industry. As we kind of move forward, Jordan, I'll leave you with three themes that we are really focused on for fund one. So the first theme is obviously the pandemic has impacted the built world pretty substantively. You see that across asset classes when you think about the future of work, the future of retail, and the future of living. So you're keeping an eye out on that. The second theme is sustainability. I think real estate needs to stand up, and we want to be a part of that conversation. And then it's really the third theme which brings us here, which is the interaction of Web 3.0 and real estate. And I think Metaverse is a central piece of that, and I'm excited to talk more about that. Well, thank you for the overview. The reason why I'm actually very excited about today's conversation is, you know, a lot of the podcasts that I did before are real estate related. You know, they're very much, you know, matter of fact, and how can technology can help investors today? This is really out of the box. But I think what's very interesting about the Metaverse is it has been in more news articles over the last two months than 
any time before in the world. So everybody's writing about it. Everybody's talking about it as if they really knew what it was. But when you start asking, you know, I mean, at least it was my experience. When I start asking people who just bring up the metaverse, you know, and ask, start asking questions because I'm interested more about it, you realize people don't really know what it what it's about. And at the same time, you and I had lunch probably a month and a half ago. And, you know, right. we talked about you creating, you know, you're researching a lot of different topics, including the metaverse, and you're obviously very knowledgeable about it. And so this is the reason why this is going to be very, very interesting. So to start things off specifically about the metaverse, I mean, really clearly, I was just looking at Google Trans before the skull, right? And before October of 2021, nobody was researching metaverse on Google. Like Google has an index from zero to hundred, you know, that relates to the amount of searches and popularity of a term. And the metaverse was around five when Facebook renamed themselves from Facebook to metaverse. And then from that point on, the Google Trends Index went to 100, which is the maximum for many, many months, but then started dropping quite a bit recently. And so I think that there are a couple of interesting points there that we can address during conversation. But the first one is, what is the metaverse? Like, who is it for? You know, how does it work? Where is it at? And, and just how do you think about it today? Yeah. So Jordan, you know, one framework that I like to kind of use when I'm talking about the metaverse is let's let's talk about what the metaverse is not, right? There's a lot of people kind of mistake the metaverse to be something that it's not. So to begin with, I'll say that, you know, the metaverse is not a new protocol. It's not a way of doing new things. It's not going to substitute in-person physical interactions. And I think the last bit is the most important takeaway. Because people think that, you know, our avatars, our virtual profiles are essentially going to replace how we interact with people in person. And I don't think that's going to be the case. So then that brings us to what is the metaverse? Well, in a nutshell, the way we are talking right now on a screen, I think is so antiquated, right? We can't see each other. We can hear each other. We can't like, you know, it's not very rich conversation from a contextual standpoint, right? And those are how most of our interactions happen on the internet. If you're on an e-commerce website, if you're in a classroom, or if you're on a Zoom call, conversations are not that rich in context. And that is exactly what the metaverse promises. The metaverse promises to make the internet more conversational, more interactive, and more lifelike in nature. So really what it's gunning for is the time we spend on the internet today. What it's not gunning for is the time we spend outside the internet. Now, what might happen is that if we're spending more time in the metaverse in a more effective manner, it may allow us to do a certain set of things in a better way that we would do in real life. And that fraction of time might then be allocated to the metaverse. But fundamentally, you know, the metaverse is just a better way of experiencing the internet as it stands today. And when you say internet, do you mean internet and social media or specifically the internet, like our Zoom calls or you know conference calls we might have with you know, teams of people? Internet and social media. All right, gotcha. In addressing what it's not, the reality is who really decides what the metaverse is? Because it seems to me that today there are five or six dominant players, right? You got the metas of the world, Google's of the world, that really are going to be the few entities that are going and have the money and have the power and the technology to decide what is going to look like, right? And so who decides and who has been deciding so far what the metaverse does, what it looks like? Is it really the users or is it not the Zuckerbergs of the world? It's still early days and I hope it's the users. 
right? If you think about the ethos of Web 3.0, the idea was, you know, it has to be user-driven and decentralized. And a metaverse is as much a part of Web 3.0 as anything else. So from that perspective, if you think about shaping virtual experiences, building your own avatar and coming up with mechanisms in terms of how avatars interact with virtual experiences, the theoretical premise is promising for the metaverse to be entirely generated by users, for users, and off the users. Gotcha. And so what's interesting is, it seems to me from our last conversation that you are thinking about the ways in which the metaverse applies to real estate. And so can you talk about what it means, first of all, to have you know, metaverse X real estate? You know, what, what, it, what does it look like? How is real estate being used as the metaverse or how is it built or how is it capitalized on? And as far as running a VC fund, you know, where do you see opportunities? Where do you think they are? And what opportunities have you, you know, what companies have you seen do in the metaverse as far as real estate is concerned? So, you know, one way to look at this is real estate is the built world and the built world will be shaped by what's happening in our virtual worlds. And the metaverse could create a conversational bridge between our virtual worlds and the built world. I'll give you a few specific examples in terms of how that might happen. So if you think about the future work, a lot of people are not going back to physical office spaces today. A lot of people want to work from home or remotely. If Metaverse provides a better way to work from home or to work remotely, one that is more immersive, conversational, and lifelike, that gives physical office spaces an even greater run for money than Zoom is today. So that's scenario one. Scenario two is look at all the luxury retail brands today. They all have or are planning to have you know, virtual stores, virtual brands in the Metaverse. And I think that's a really novel way to rethink how one tends to visualize guest engagement and subscription loyalty programs. For instance, let's say, you know, Jordan, you go and buy a limited edition handbag of a certain brand that you really like, except that handbag is in the virtual world. Right. Now, why would you buy that? If you buy that virtual handbag, it's not just your avatar can own it, but you get an NFT claiming proof of ownership to that virtual handbag. And then that gives you access to special discounts and benefits and programs in that brand's real physical store, right? And then you become a part of that community that is kind of engaged with that brand in that capacity. And the next time the brand decides to launch a limited edition handbag, they come back to you and ask you, hey, what are the things you'd like to see, right? So to rethink brand engagement and brand ownership, I think the metaverse is a very powerful proposition now, where does retail, where do retail landlords and mall owners come into the picture? From what we see is, you know, a lot of the luxury retail brands have the wherewithal to kind of launch malls in the metaverse. But if you speak about everyone else and there's a massive long tail, they're clueless. And I think the retail landlords have a unique opportunity to not just offer physical space at the retail malls but also tell them, hey, if you sign 5,000 square feet of space in our retail mall, we'll activate presence for you in Decentraland and we'll help you create that conversational bridge. So that's example two in terms of how retail mall owners should start thinking about it. I'll pause there. There are a couple more examples. For instance, we could go into the hospitality industry, but these are you know, some of the use cases today. Cool. And so you mentioned Decentraland. Can you talk about the different worlds that exist out there? Because I was just reading an article yesterday that there's been approximately $500 million worth of real estate properties purchased in the metaverse 
over the last six months. But what does that mean to own a property in the metaverse? How do you, I mean, if you buy a 50 million dollar property, how do you value it? You know, what kind of income do you get? What are the implications of the traditional real estate model in the metaverse for properties? Good question. So there are a few virtual worlds that are becoming prominent today as we speak. And then the key question here is, are these virtual experiences going to become interoperable? So if you have an experience in Metaverse A, could that be transferred to Metaverse B? And that's still playing out as we speak. In terms of owning land parcels versus renting land parcels at some of these you know, Metaverses, we've seen brands and enterprises do both. There is a first more advantage of owning land parcels here and then activating experiences based on those land parcels and then monetizing based on those experiences. In terms of how one values these land parcels, I think you know that is, again, something that's DVD because it's an emerging space and one is still realizing what the revenue generation potential could be of some of these virtual experiences. But I'd also say that it's kind of like a wrong framework to think about it just from that perspective. That, hey, if I'm going to have a virtual store and I'm going to have like a thousand people come attend parties in the virtual store and they're going to buy Y dollars worth of virtual goods, that's my return investment. But what happens though, Jordan, is if those thousand people attend your virtual store, the brand also registers subconsciously in their mind. So the next time when they go shopping in real life, you may see a higher set of conversions from that subset of people. And how do you account for that ROI? right? That conversational bridge, that new leverage that the metaverse gives you. So I think there's a more nuanced, sophisticated calculation that needs to go in there to be able to effectively evaluate what your ROI should be when you're buying a land parcel there. That makes sense. That makes total sense. So what's interesting to me about the underlying assumptions of the metaverse is that you know you are in this different world where you can see items, right? You talked about retail and, and experiencing you know, items and, and shopping there. It means that you are heavily reliant on AR and VR, right? But there are limitations to AR and VR today. It seems to me that you know some of the complaints of folks that are spending some time in the metaverses, it doesn't feel real yet. It doesn't look real yet. So how far are we from being able to really feel like we are in a real world where we're in the metaverse as opposed to a bit of a gimmicky place? You're spot on. We would need better hardware and better software to make those experiences lifelike. And we're not there yet but we are moving at a very fast pace. So I wouldn't be surprised say by the end of this year, the kind of virtual experiences, the quality, the efficacy, and the fidelity of these experiences is substantively better than where we were 12 months ago. And these things, mind you, move at a compounding pace. So stay tuned for that. Cool. So I think overall, you know, there is a lot of discussions around the metaverse. And the overall question is high versus reality. You know, where are we today? How far are we? Because it's kind of like, you know, self-driving cars, right? Everybody's talking about it. We're probably 10 years away, maybe more. You know, and that's coming from the folks, you know, who are really invested in it in Google, including Google CEO, who said, look, we're probably 10 to 15 years away from having cars, you know, driving around cities on their own without human input there. So what's the timeline as far as the metaverse and how much of it is really going to be delivered versus expectations that are likely not going to be delivered? Right. You know, the nature of the adoption curve for something like this looks the following. No one talks about it. Everyone starts talking about it. There's initial adoption, and that's inevitably disappointing. The product substantively improves, and then there's mass adoption, right? So right now, I think we're at that phase, as you pointed out in the conversation, Jordan, at the beginning, 
no one was talking about it. And then all of a sudden, everyone started talking about it. And there's a lot of excitement and buzz around this. The initial use cases, my sense is not going to live up to the expectation. And that's going to be great because it's going to provide the industry great feedback loops. And then the question is, you know, how do we overcome that chasm from initial disillusionment to mass adoption? And that's anyone's guess. But here's why it's so compelling. Some of the best investors, some of the best technology talent, and some of the best CEOs are staking their reputations on the future of the metaverse. So I think this is a trend that's not going to die or go away anytime soon. You know, for the skeptics who think that this is another bubble, I don't think it's going to be that. All right. So should I buy a house in the metaverse while it's cheap? You absolutely should. Yeah, it's kind of like buying a property on you know Times Square 100 years ago it was worth nothing, and now you're probably worth you know 10 billion dollars. So maybe you should should start that exactly. that business. Last question for you: Who you know, as we keep exploring the topic of metaverse, you know, who are the folks that we should be talking to, and any references there as as far as uh, keep exploring the topic? I would say Matthew Ball. He's published a lot of good things on the metaverse. I think he's got a book coming out this summer, so that should be a good one. And then there's Eric Sheridan from Goldman Sachs. He's been writing a lot of research on the metaverse as well. So these are two people we kind of like track and read up on as well whenever they publish something. Nice. So what we'll do is we'll look at their different publications and researches, and we'll make them available with a transcript of the podcast so that people can go and read up. And maybe we can have another conversation in the metaverse, you know, maybe in six to 12 months, see how things have gone and, and see how things have progressed. How does that work? Looking forward to it, Jordan. Kunal, thank you very much for your time. Uh, I know how busy you are. I know you're looking at a lot of opportunities, investing in a lot of companies. If there are founders who are listening to this podcast, you know, if they're Series A or coming at Series A in real estate tech, they can probably come and talk to you. Otherwise, thank you for your time. Thanks, Sean. Thanks for listening to Reevaluate, the BS-free conversation with real estate movers and shakers. For more information or the podcast transcript, visit whiterock.ai. See you next month.